The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Our text today is verses 13 through 16. Uh, Last week I spoke on the 13th verse, and we talked about how the Word of God is essential in every area of the Christian life. That the the Word works in you, and it works for you. And the Word is how we objectively know that God is with us and that God is for us. Our salvation is begun in the Word of God. The Scripture says that we are born again by the Word. So from the initial recognition that we are are sinners to the regenerating power of the work of God in repentance and faith, it is the Word of God that the Holy Spirit uses as an instrument to make us the children of God. Then after we are born again, after this new birth, the word isn't through with us because the word continues in us to sanctify us and to purify. The word corrects, the word causes us to grow spiritually, and it prepares us for that day when we'll meet Christ in heaven. So the word is always working for the believer. Now the last message ended with the thought that the word protects us That the wrath of God is coming upon this world and the word protects us. Our belief in Jesus Christ who is revealed in the word defends us against the judgment of condemnation that comes upon unbelievers. So whatever you need in your Christian life, it is supplied by the word of God. You're never going to be able to live successfully. You'll never be at peace unless you rely upon the holy scriptures which are the inspired word of God. And so we read in verse number 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So Paul says that the word works effectually in those that believe. And so Paul thanked God for the Thessalonian church because they heard the word of God and they didn't receive it as a word that came from man, but this is God actually speaking to them through the apostle. And now we come to verses 14 through 16. We're thankful that the word works in us because we have enemies that work against us. So the apostle says, In verse number 14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now in verse 14, Paul repeated his comment from chapter 1 that these Thessalonians had become followers. Now at first he said that they were followers of him and they were followers of the Lord. And now he adds that they are also followers of other Christians in other churches. 
And he means that now they walk in the same sorts of afflictions and the same persecution that their Jewish brothers in the Judean churches had experienced. So when you receive Christ, you become a part of a faith that has for centuries been much maligned. And you become a part of a people that are considered to be the off-scouring of the world. Paul said to the Corinthians, Even under this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we blessed, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things under this day. Now sadly there, Paul is speaking not only of the mistreatment that he received at the hands of the world, but he said, at times, I received mistreatment from fellow Christians. And this is what we sign up for when we come to faith in Christ, that as soon as that decision is made, that you are going to trust Christ as your Savior, the world turns against you. The Thessalonians were living through that. Their community turned on them. And now Paul says that you're getting the same treatment that was given to the first church in Judea. You can read in the book of Acts the persecutions of the church, and you'll see how the Jews had persecuted the church at every turn. Now today we're going to talk about that rejection, and we are experts on this because we know the history of Christianity. From the beginning of the faith, the world was against belief in Christ. But more specifically, we're going to discuss today the Jews' rejection of the gospel. The gospel came to them first. They're the nation through which Christ Came And so being the first, then they were the first that rejected him. And the Jews, as a type, stand for all those that reject the Messiah, that all of them are going to suffer wrath. And the Jewish rejection of Christ is the most tragic of all because the Jews had unique privileges that weren't given to the rest of the world. They were given God's law that was intended to bring them to Christ. They were given the oracles. They were given the prophets. They were given types and figures of Christ in the tabernacle and in the temple. And they rejected all of those things that God gave. They rejected the grace of God in favor of a works-based, self-accomplished salvation. And still today, the Jews remain the hardest to reach with the gospel of Christ. Now, if I could comment a little bit further on that, from a reasonable standpoint, we would expect that the Jews would be the easiest to reach with the gospel. Now, we often speak of this thing that's called the Judeo-Christian ethic, and that says that there is a very close connection between Christians and the Jewish religion. Uh, We have a common religious ancestry. As I said, through the Jews, it was that Christ came And in fact, although the Jews reject him today, he still is their Messiah. He is still their Savior. And the principles that we live by and the commandments that we that we obey, those were first given to the Jews. The promises of Christ's kingdom, those were first given to the Jews. And because of that, we would expect that Old Testament Jews would transition into New Testament Christians as simply a rightful progression of the Jewish religion. The types and figures of the Jewish religion found in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the antitype, who is Jesus Christ. So therefore, reasonably, 
All Jews should be Christians. Because salvation came first to the Jews. That's where Paul always began his evangelism. When there was a synagogue in a city that he would visit, Paul would go there first and he would begin to open up the scriptures and show them about Christ. I mean, you could reasonably expect that they would understand the scriptures. They read the scriptures. And so Paul would very carefully go through those to show them that they spoke of Jesus Christ. Jesus did the same thing to those two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. He explained to them how the law and the prophets spoke of him. And that's the way that Paul would begin his presentations of the gospel whenever he would go into one of these cities that had a synagogue. But faith in Christ most often did not happen with the Jews. They very strongly rejected and they incited Gentiles in cities where Paul preached to persecute him and his companions. What Paul did was to upset those teachings of the Jews and whenever Jews were saved, they were drawn out of the synagogue system and that undermined the authority of Jewish leaders. And then it was the stubborn prejudicial mindset of Jews against Gentiles that kept them from embracing any religion that accepted the Gentiles. You see, they were determined they were the only ones that God would save. And so uh, when the Gentiles began to hear the gospel of Christ, they thought, well, Gentiles are just dogs to be turned into hell with no hope. And you can imagine what they thought when Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile in Jesus Christ. And he said, all races are united in the church. And that's our subject today. It's the Jews and the rest of the world that work against us. And mainly we're going to speak about the Jews because uh, these are the ones that mostly that Paul had in mind when he mentioned churches in Judea. But we do need to be aware that the entire world rejects Christ. It's only the few exceptions of those who hear and believe. So first we're going to note this, that the world rejects Christ. This isn't just a Jewish problem. Willfully, intentionally, spitefully, and often with severe malice, the world hates Christ. It's not in the human heart to love Christ. At least not to love him in the truth that the Bible presents about him. Oh, you'll find many that love a made-up Jesus... They fashion him into a character that looks much like them. It's an idolization of self, actually, that, that really is the way that they want Jesus to be. And the Jesus that they want never calls anyone to repentance. He's always tolerant of their sins. Um, he doesn't call them to repentance, although he may call others because the sins of others are always worse than ours. But as the world becomes wickeder and wickeder, the Jesus that they believe in tolerates more and more of their wickedness. So the only sins to be repented of are the ones that somebody else does because they're worse than the ones that we do. Well, in the New Testament, the Jews had first-hand acquaintance with Jesus, and when they met him, they didn't like him. First, John the Baptist came, and he told the religious leaders that they needed to repent because their Messiah was coming. As Isaiah prophesied, 
and we'll read it later in our, in our congregational readings in the book of Isaiah, that God would send one who would cry in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And that was John the Baptist. And he told the people, you must repent. And then Jesus came. Uh, John announced him. And then Jesus came. And when Jesus began to preach, he just added more conviction on the Jewish people. And he told them also, they must repent. And most of Jewish or Jesus' ministry was spent among the Jews. He evangelized very little among the Gentiles. And when they rejected Christ, they set the tone for everyone that hears the gospel message. At first, every person rejects Christ. It's not until the Holy Spirit illuminates our understanding that anyone believes. Now, I think most of you remember... The, the little tiff that we had a few years ago with some Jewish people in our community. At the end of the Matthew series, I spoke on the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. And I had the title of the sermon out on the old sign out front that said, Justice Mocked by the Jews. Now that, that title was about the, the mock trial of Jesus and how the Jewish leaders broke every rule of justice they knew so they could condemn to death an innocent man, a man that they hated. And immediately after that sign appeared, there was a charge against us of anti-Semitism, particularly a charge against me. So I wrote a letter of explanation to the community voice to dispel any thoughts that we were against Jewish people. And that I wasn't talking about justice today, I was talking about justice in New Testament times. And there was a Jewish lady who was a blogger, and she wrote at least two lengthy posts about how I was against Jewish people. Now the most interesting part of her article was the claim that it wasn't the Jews that crucified Jesus. She said that the Pope had absolved the Jews of crucifying Jesus. Now, I thought that it was odd that a Jew would enlist the help of the Pope, but of course she didn't understand that the Pope has no authority with us, no more than the devil. I don't respect the authority of the Pope. He doesn't speak for anything but a false Christianity. My respect is for the Word of God, as we see there in verse number 13. It is the Word of God that works in us. But if we want to know who was it that crucified Christ, was it the Jews, was it the Romans, was it someone else? All we need to do is look at verse number 15. Now we look at the end of verse 14 and beginning of verse 15. The Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. That seems clear. If you're not satisfied with Paul's comment, then Peter, whom the Catholics claim was the first pope, said in his message on Pentecost to the Jews... Ye men of Israel, hear these words. You took Jesus of Nazareth, and by wicked hands you have slain him. In the third chapter of Acts, Peter said, You, to the Jews, you killed the Prince of Life. In Acts 7, Stephen said, speaking to the Jewish Sanhedrin, You betrayed, you murdered the just one. Now, Pope or no Pope, the Bible says the Jews killed Christ. Now, it was the Romans who carried out the, the crucifixion. But Peter said that they did it at the insistence of the Jews when Pilate would have let him go. 
Now you see in this text that Paul interrupted himself in his praise of the Thessalonians to make this point. That the Jews rejected Christ and they killed him. And then they turned that hatred on the church and persecuted them. And all of this is fresh in Paul's mind because he left Thessalonica because violence was incited against him by the Jews. Well, this kind of truth-telling is the kind of preaching that people hate. And so they say that we are anti-Semitic. And some will even accuse Paul of being an anti-Semite. And they say, you hate the Jews. But let me make it very clear to you right now. We do not hate the Jews. We only relate the historical facts of what they did. And that's confirmed in the word of God. And this doesn't have anything at all to do with the Jew today. And we don't believe that the Jewish race should be hated because of what first century Jews did. Now, oddly enough, it was Catholicism and early Protestantism that fostered hatred of the Jews. If you go to Israel today and you ask the Jewish people what they think of Catholicism and what they did in the Crusades, you'll get an earful about what they think of of who hates the Jews. But there isn't a Jew today that was at the trial of Jesus. None of them were a part of the religious leaders that insisted that Christ be put to death. But today, Jewish rejection of Christ is like all the rest of the world. That every person is a sinner, and at least in this sense, there is not a person in the world who's not responsible that Jesus died on the cross. And if we had been there in those days, we would have done what the Jews did. And if Jesus came today in the same way that he came the first time, and he did the same miracles, you can be sure that there would be another cross for him. Now, thankfully, he's coming again, but he's not coming in the same way. Now, I, I thought about this, and you know there are people in our country today that, that cry for reparations for slavery of the past. Now, slavery was a, a horrible thing, but I never owned a slave. And none none of the people that are asking to be paid for it were ever slaves. None of us owes for the sins of our ancestors. It's what we do today that we're held accountable for. And so if if you think about this this thing of reparations, then how about Christians? I mean, shouldn't we ask for reparations for what was done to Christ? And what about reparations to be paid for all the martyrs who gave their lives for Christ? And what about all those that are living in persecution today? If they insist that somebody be paid, at least let's pay those that are truly suffering. There's nobody in America that's hated like Christians. The world is against Christ. Now, secondly, we note that the world rejects the church. The church is the body of Christ. If they reject Christ, they will reject his body. Now, when we speak of the church... We're, we're talking about the local visible body as this church here, the Berean Baptist Church, is a local visible body of Jesus Christ. We are an assembly of people that have agreed together that we will love each other and we will do Christ's work in the world. And I'm sad to say that it was the Jews that first rejected the church. Now you see in our text... The Thessalonians followed in the footsteps of their Christian brothers who were in the Judean churches. Jewish Christians were persecuted, hounded to death by Jews in Judea. Now the church began there. It began with the 12 apostles. The apostles were the first in the church. And on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered with 100 
and 20 other disciples, and then the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and from them the gospel was preached to the entire world. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were in the temple preaching Christ. They were met by Jewish authorities and told not to preach him, and they were beaten for preaching about Christ. In Acts 7, Stephen preached before the Jewish Sanhedrin, and they hated that scathing message, and they stoned him. And curiously, we learned there that those who stoned Stephen took off their cloaks and laid them at the feet of a man named Saul. In Acts 8, that chapter begins with Saul persecuting the church. And it says that there was, he was wreaking havoc up and down Judea and on into Damascus under the authority of letters that were given by Jewish leaders. In Acts 12, Herod seized the apostle James and killed him because it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to take Peter and put him in prison with the intention of killing him because it pleased the Jews. And on it goes, the Jews persistently tried to stamp out the church. And then we read further in Paul's ministry as he ministered to Galatian churches. Who did he say were the ones that caused him the trouble? It was the Judaizers, Jews from Judea, who tried to bring the church back under the rituals of Judaism and thus destroy the gospel of Christ. So the Jews were always stirring up trouble. They're the reason that Paul abruptly left Thessalonica. He escaped for his life under that persecution. So this is on his mind as he writes this in this second chapter. He stopped himself here in this text. To say that the Thessalonians experienced the same as churches in Judea. That the Jews were persistent everywhere in their opposition of the church. So again, we see that the world hates the church, whether it's Jew or Gentile. The history of the church is the history of the blood of martyrs. Tradition tells us that all of the apostles died bloody deaths. The exception was John. Likely he was boiled in oil before he was exiled to the rocky island of Patmos. And then it didn't stop when all the apostles were dead. There was a disciple of John named Polycarp. He became the pastor of the church at Smyrna. And he was so badly hated that they burned him. And while he was burning in the flames, someone came and stabbed him while he was dying. This is how much people hate the gospel of Christ. And it continues. If you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll see story after story of down through the centuries how Christians were killed for their faith. Uh, I, I thought that I would pick out just one example from dozens. This is from the year 1554, and this is what John Fox wrote. In the year 1554, two men of the Reformed religion, and that means those that had rebelled against Catholicism and believed in Salvation by grace through faith alone. Two men of the reformed religion with son and daughter of one of them were apprehended and committed to the castle of Nevern. On examination, they confessed their faith and were ordered to execution, being smeared with grease, brimstone, and gunpowder. They cried, salt on, salt on, this sinful, rotten flesh. Their tongues were then cut out. And they were afterward committed to the flames, which soon consumed them by means of the combustible matter with which they were besmeared. Fox goes on to chronicle in history the martyrs 
and the cruelty of their deaths. And the Jews kicked off that persecution way back in Judea in the first century. It was picked up by the Gentiles. And Paul thinks about the privileges that the Jews had and the shame it was that they turned their back on those privileges to be haters of Christ and his church. Now the Jews hated Gentiles too, but they were all too happy to join with them in persecution of the common enemy. You remember at Jesus' trial, Pilate asked the Jews, will you crucify your king? And who would believe that the Jews would respond, we have no king but Caesar. And, and that, that statement, that's an admittance that's made only under the severest of duress in the history of Israel. But it seems that the duress of Christ and his church is too much for them to bear. And so there, there must be an alliance made. And they would do that. They would join with the Gentiles to get rid of Paul, the apostles, and the church. Paul said five times he'd been beaten by the Jews for preaching the gospel. The world hates the church. And that's because we've been given the responsibility to preach repentance. The gospel exposes sin. Nobody wants to be made to feel unholy, inadequate, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And not only doesn't the world like to hear it, now churches have decided not to preach it. The church won't tell it. The church that has become the world faces down churches like ours that still cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ and teach that people must repent of their sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. Well, Paul's point here is if you follow Christ, then you will walk in the footsteps of Christians who went before you. That you will receive the same things at their hands that those first churches received. The world hates Christ. The world hates the church. It hates any assembly of believers who walk today in those same principles that were taught in the New Testament. Now there's another point to be made here. And that is Christianity is far from the peaceful, serene religion that it's often taught to be. The only peace that the church has with the world is when the church compromises with the world. And if we decide to cross the world, we will be hated by the world. And folks, there is no peace. Trouble is our lot. So we're not like the Buddhists who sit with legs folded beneath us in Zen and make our peace with people and bugs. Not Christianity. We are at peace. But our peace is with God, not the world. And if the church preaches the Jesus of the Bible, there's never going to be peace with the world. Oh, we have inner peace, don't we? We have inner peace when we stand for Christ. We rejoice because we're counted worthy to suffer for Christ. But you're foolish if you believe Christianity will make you a peacenik. No, the language of Scripture is warfare. It is brutal spiritual warfare. Trusting Christ is a battleground where every inch of progress that you make is a bitter fight. Opposition to the truth is found on every corner. So the history of Christianity is that we're kicking and, and, and we're clawing and fighting our way through this life. And this 300 years of freedom that we found on this continent are an historical anomaly. There is no 
peace that has existed this long. But remember this, that America is only one spot in the world. All of these years that in America we've enjoyed peace, we also need to remember that it was persecution in Europe that brought us here. And across the world today, in many, many other countries, the, the fight against Christianity goes on just as it always has. And the truth is that Christianity is the most repressed religion by far of the most of the world's population. So the world rejects Christ and the world rejects the church. Now thirdly, the world works against you because the world rejects, rejects the word. That contrast is in verse number 13. The Thessalonians receive the word as it is the truth of the word of God, while the world has no regard for the authority of the Bible. To them it's a myth, it's a, it's a fantasy tale, at best it's just another guru's philosophy. So the world sees no reason to respond to the scriptures as a mandate. And as the world rejects the authority of the word, they also reject the God of the word. And so further, the world rejects us as it rejects the word, because it is the word by which we live. Now understand, this is not a matter of personalities. The world doesn't reject us because our personalities are bad, even though there are many Christians with bad personalities. No, they, they reject us or don't reject us because we aren't nice people. This is not really a personal issue. This is a word issue because the word directs our lives to be different from theirs. The world doesn't understand that the word has authority and the word has the ability to change lives. But the world sees us only as people who condemn them because we live by a different standard. We live by the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is not compatible with their understanding of the world. To them, Christians are people who don't party anymore. They're, they're people who don't converse in their filthy language. We're people that don't laugh at their dirty jokes. We are people that don't hang out in their dark haunts. You don't, do you? You don't, do you? If you're a Christian, you shouldn't. And I suspect the world is okay with you if you're okay with them. Nobody likes the word until the word works effectually in them. So what does the word do to the world? It works effectually against them. It works effectually for us, but effectually against them. How? Well, it deepens their condemnation. Every time that they're exposed to holy Christian living, to the lives of Christians and the witness of the gospel, it drives them deeper into their condemnation. Now that leads me then to the next, that the world rejects themselves. That's odd, isn't it? They reject themselves. They're haters of Christ, of the church, and of the word, which means that they reject everything that's good for them. There's nothing in the world that will help them. And so then when they reject, they reject themselves. Now if you'll turn a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul in this letter instructs Timothy about the role of the pastor, and he said something along the way that affects this point that I now make. In the second chapter, and in the 24th and 25th verses of 2 Timothy, Paul speaks to Timothy as a young pastor. He says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. 
if peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now do you see that? He says the pastor must instruct those that oppose themselves. Now the main meaning here is, is the church. A church might have embraced heresy. Some members in the church may have embraced a heresy. And he says that holding a false doctrine causes a person to oppose himself. They oppose their growth in the true knowledge of Christ. And, and I believe that's true concerning the doctrines of grace. Not to believe and accept them is to oppose your good understanding of who God is and what God's done for us in salvation. So if a Christian can oppose himself by belief in a false doctrine, then how much more a person who doesn't know Christ and who doesn't know the pardon of his sins, how does he oppose, how much more does he oppose his own welfare by rejecting Christ? His soul is headed for eternity in hell. There's no escape for that. Now in verse 15, Paul said, they don't please God. And here he's still speaking of the Jews. They oppose themselves while they think that they're doing God a favor by upholding old Jewish rituals. So they think they're doing God a favor because they hate Christians. Now, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. This scripture requires our reading on the subject as the author speaks to the Jews that, that must obey Christ, not Old Testament rituals. So the author says in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That salvation was first spoken by Christ. It was attested by God through wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so if you reject that testimony, you oppose yourself because you reject your salvation. Another verse in Hebrews 10 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So if you reject Christ, you reject yourself. Because there is no other way for your sins to be forgiven. And without forgiveness comes the wrath of God. Now if you'll hold that thought for just a minute, let me just add as we conclude this point. The Jews and others who reject Christ do not stop with opposing themselves. They also oppose humanity. Mankind is hurt by this rejection because it stops others from hearing the truth that will save them. Well, the last part of verse 15 says they're contrary to all men. In verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. That is a frightening indictment. They're responsible for keeping the gospel from being heard by those who desperately need to hear and be saved from the fires of hell. And so when Paul was driven out of Thessalonica and other places, people who might have heard the gospel were prevented. 
And today we see this happening. The gospel is stopped by those who complain against it. And have you heard the reasoning that they give? Many of them say, well, we are preserving human dignity. When we oppose immoral lifestyles, they say we harm the dignity of those who identify differently. And they say there is intrinsic worth in diversified lifestyles. The Bible says differently. And they hate the word because it condemns those lifestyles. So they think that what they do is to promote mankind. And what do they say? Well, this is pride in who we are. This is pride in this different lifestyle. And so they parade these deviant lifestyles. But the scripture says they oppose themselves. And when they, when they oppose the scriptures to celebrate the rainbow's diversity, they dig a, di- a hole that's too deep to recover from. They oppose themselves because the scripture says there comes a time when God gives them up. It's called a reprobate mind. And that is a depravity that is so deep that God stops sending gracious influences of the gospel. They refuse it too often and too insistently. And then God says, go your way. Go your way. And he stops the influence. The Holy Spirit must convict for there to be salvation. And if the Holy Spirit stops his activity, there is no hope for repentance. Now that leads us to the last observation, that the world receives wrath. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now Paul's point is about the Jews... And there's much discussion about this verse. What is this wrath that he speaks of? The text says this wrath has come upon them. And you notice that the present tense, the wrath was already there. Now the problem though is that the English language is not as expressive as the Greek. And in the Greek, the verb tense shows that this wrath is already settled and it's ongoing as if it had already happened. And it's as sure as if if it had already happened. What is the wrath? Well, some say that it's the wrath that would come in about 20 years from the time that Paul wrote this. In AD 70, 20 years later, there were more than 1 million Jews that died in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. That's not a bad interpretation. They filled up their sins and God brought destruction. But I believe that this goes beyond the destruction of Jerusalem. The Bible teaches that there is also a tribulation that's coming upon the world. And in that time, the Jews will be terribly persecuted. And to keep the entire race from being uh, extinguished, God will preserve 144,000 Jews that are a remnant, a seed of the gospel that will bring the gospel to their countrymen. And God's always done this. God always preserves a remnant of believers. And I believe that this wrath that it speaks of is both of those. It's the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the tribulation after the rapture. And then added to that, it is the wrath that comes in the fires of hell. And so because the Jews were so violent in their rejection of Christ, the church, and the word, and the preaching of the gospel to Gentiles, the wrath is filled up on them from every direction. It flows in from every side. Now a final observation, Paul was not anti-Semitic. Because he said these things about the Jews. No, he's truthful. That's all he is, is being truthful. There's an historical fact that he says here. But Paul didn't stop loving the Jews 
He didn't stop loving his people. He was for them. He wanted them to be saved. And his trips into the synagogues weren't to condemn them, but to give them the gospel that would save them. In Romans, he pleads for their salvation. Now, this is what that passage that we read a few minutes ago in Romans 10 at the very beginning of the service is about. It's about the Jewish rejection and Paul's love of the Jews. And he says in Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. It cut Paul to the heart that they didn't believe. With such advantages, they didn't believe. And that was a tragedy almost too much for him. So Paul expressed the same love for the Jews as Jesus did. Remember at his crucifixion that Jesus said, I pray to you, Father, that you will not lay this sin to their charge. When Stephen was martyred, it was Stephen who prayed, I pray that this charge will not prevent their salvation. Do we hate the Jews because they crucified Christ? No. We pray for their salvation, that they might not continue their rejection. And so we pray for the world. The world works against us, but we're not against them. And when we preach against their sins, we're not preaching against them. We're preaching for their souls. We're preaching that they might receive Christ and stop opposing themselves in their rejection of the gospel. And so we're for the salvation of the world. We, we don't want to see a single person die and go to hell. And when God saves those that persecute, though they may have persecuted us, when God saves them, we forgive as Christ forgave. Now, we don't want to isolate ourselves from them. We won't hate them as they hate us. But may we continue to preach the gospel to the world as long as the Lord gives us breath. Now, hear this. The world works against you, but the word works in you so that you won't be against them. And that's the difference between redemption and rejection. Out of redemption flows love for all souls. Out of rejection flows the hatred of all mankind. God so loved the world. Always remember that. God so loved the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now asking you that you would burden our hearts for those who don't know Christ. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to some soul today. If there is someone here who doesn't know Christ, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would end that rejection of the gospel. Bring them to the knowledge of the truth because there is no other way that anyone can be saved. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Help us as Christians to be concerned for the world and the salvation of their souls. Bless your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.